0: I'm absolutely all in favor of launching an MVP as soon as possible. And I'm usually the biggest advocate of this in, in, in the whole team. You know, I've, I think I probably um, wind people up sometimes by, by how kind of fast I want to move and how quickly I want to launch them.
1: Welcome to the second podcast from Wales Tech Blog. Today, I'll be speaking with Carl Swanapool who, with his co-founder Sky, have created Revolancer? Born originally out of Aberystwyth University, Revelancer aims to give freedom back to freelancers. And today we're going to find out how. Hi Carl, thank you for agreeing to sit with me today. Uh, let's start with some quickfire questions. Would you say that Revolancer is business to business, business to consumer? B to B to C or even C to C. Where does it sit? Sure, I mean it's it's quite a tricky
0: one. I have trouble kind of describing this to to potential investors all the time. Um, because, uh, but I would say that we're predominantly a B 2 B marketplace platform. So we connect, you know, uh, small businesses on the client side with freelancers who are also small businesses, um, or some people treat them as consumers, um, but you know they they are sole traders. So. I would argue that they are small businesses themselves, Um, but you know, it's up to
1: up to interpretation. Okay, great. Um, And are you a SaaS company, an agency, or do you have a mixed model? Um, We're a SaaS company
0: predominantly. So we offer a marketplace, but we, we monetize through SaaS subscription plans. And so are you invested or bootstrapped? Um so we we have raised investment we got started with a grant that I secured from my university um I so I entered a competition that they have it's called the Invent Prize competition um was fortunate enough to win uh, the one in 2021 winning about a 13,000 pound grant uh about half a year later off of that we raised our first venture round um so we raised 160k which was led by um, SFC Capital who are based in London um, and now, you know, a, a year later, we're uh, in the final stages of raising our, our seed round.
1: Oh, that's great. Thanks for being honest about the numbers, too. It's really nice. Um, and are you looking for investment, more investment in future, do you think? Uh, will you have another round or would you prefer to you know, run with what you've got now?
0: Um, I, I, I do believe that we will, um, because, you know, to, to do well in our space and, you know, we're breaking into a space where there are a couple of multi-billion dollar public companies you know we have to grow very 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 quickly and the only way that that's going to be possible um you know is with kind of external funding so we are generating um you know quite a nice amount of revenue that's growing quickly as well so we are um actually on track to get to a break even point within a few months now but that being said you know we're going to uh, increase our our spend to be able to accelerate growth more
1: yeah that's great okay so that's something that obviously a lot of product based businesses face they they you know and and for you to get to break even point so early in the game because how long has revelance have been around um we launched the the platform in i believe september of last year we
0: launched the the beta version but we've been kind of um, open to the whole world uh, for
1: just under 1 year now so you you see a break even point in the next one or two years
0: yes i i i do believe it is achievable i mean i i I believe you know based on our current trajectory if we are very careful with what we spend which which we already are but if we are you know very very conservative with what we spend we could get to a break-even point uh, like probably at the end of q1 of next year but i wouldn't want that because it means stifling growth (laughs) yeah i mean that that's the thing It, it would mean stifling growth um so we'd be you know with the current seed round that we're raising now we're looking to increase our spend to accelerate growth and then you know eventually we want to get to a break-even point uh, but at a much higher scale than, than we are now
1: yeah yeah i mean people don't give you money to sit on it in the bank right so they want you to spend the money invest in the product you know, multiply that growth um so what about yourself you know where do you come from a bit about your background I was originally uh, born in South Africa. I grew up there,
0: then moved to Germany, um, then to England and, and more recently to Wales, you know, first to study, but now I moved here after that full time to work on, on the business. Um, really, really enjoy living in, in Wales. Um, it was great to, to study here as well. And, um, what did absolutely. You
1: study? I, I studied, um, AI and robotics at Aberystwyth university. Ah, uh, did you like it? So, everyone who goes there seems to love Aberystwyth, uni.
0: Yes, um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I have no no regrets about going there at all. And now I I live in Swansea, which I see as kind of the city version of Aberystwyth. Yeah, so
1: you want to stay close to the sea at all times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And um, what what took you to Swansea? Actually, why did you choose Swansea over anywhere else in Wales, or indeed, you know, South Africa, Germany, England, all the other places you mentioned?
0: Sure. so, I mean, originally, I wanted to move to Cardiff, but then, um actually it was still this year in, in January, I visited Swansea for the first time, just kind of an a little um you know holiday for a few days with my partner. And I really liked the place. i I was you know, extremely surprised because I, I really loved um Cardiff when I first visited there a few years ago, so that's why I wanted to live there. Um, but I, I have to say i I do prefer Swansea, um, and it's still, In a similar place, you know, with with you know also similarly well well connected, so that's kind of why why I decided to to move here. Um, And and as for why Wales in general, um, I mean, what's very important to me is is entrepreneurship. Obviously, I mean a large part of my life revolves around that, and and nowhere else, you know, in any country that I have have been in, um, or especially lived in, have I seen the you know enthusiasm. Uh, and, and just atmosphere, you know, around entrepreneurship that, that, you know, that that I see in Wales. So, you, think that's, you know,
1: we're a small country or a manageable country, say, like, I mean, I often have this from uh, other entrepreneurs that, you know, you can walk down a, a high street in a Welsh city and see several other entrepreneurs that, you know, from, you know, entrepreneurial networks. Uh, and there's a lot of like events around that. And, um, you know, it's just accessibility, I think, if you're in London or Munich or Berlin or, or or anywhere like that it's there are so many uh, and the country is so big and the city is so big that maybe you just don't have that coincidental contact whereas here it seems at least in my opinion everyone is kind of connected in some way uh, or on some level and if they're not there is this atmosphere like you say it's kind of like a culture where you can just reach out and say hey do you want to grab a coffee? Do you do you find that when you're working here? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that is a very
0: large part of it, and and you know, and another part of it too is um, just the kind of government funding, the different schemes that are available for for startups. So, uh, you know, for example, there's the Accelerated Growth Program, um, the the AGP, um, that we we are are a part of. Um, so, you know, that there, there you had, uh packages through agp as well yes um so the way way it works is through you know support packages so we'd work with say a a marketing coach um for example to help help us out with uh, consult on, on different points um but but just generally i mean through big ideas wales business wales uh just the kind of government funded support that's available for free you know to the end and um, kind of business um, in Wales is just un- unbelievable, you know. And and I and I think that that plus just the culture here leads to such a great space for new businesses to get started, you know. And I mean, I I used to be based um, just north of London, so very much in that kind of London and Cambridge um, e- ecosystem. But I m- much prefer living here, you know, both on a
1: per- like personally, but also professionally hmm it's Welsh government are gonna love you by the way from these comments <laughs> you know you're the, basically their PR poster boy now um you will be on the back of a bus soon if you're not already <laughs> it kind of
0: started when I was 14 I decided one day that I wanted to work for myself and that I wouldn't be happy working for anyone else I don't know why I decided that but regardless I, I knew I had to come up with a way of actually making that happen so I, I googled how to make money online. I found freelancing platforms like Fiverr and Upwork, and I, I joined them and I sold some basic um graphic and web design services. But you know, to to cut a long story short, I really wasn't happy with how those platforms operated. So uh, you know, it was hard to get new clients in the first place. When I did get clients, the platform would take an enormous cut of the transaction. And and then also to make sure that they could collect that, they would stop me from speaking with clients outside of the platform. So, I realized at a young age that if I wanted to do well in this space, I would need to start my own platform. And um, so, with that, with about two hundred pounds at the age of fifteen, I started a platform called Buy Sell Jobs. And after spending all of the money that I had on um you know on getting the platform up. I didn't have any money left to promote it, nor did I have any knowledge about online marketing. So what I did is I went onto Twitter, and whenever I saw somebody speaking about one of my competitors, I would send them a message and say, you know, hey, why don't you also join my platform and get more exposure? And I would do that over and over That's again crazy. every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and after a couple of months, grew the platform to more than two thousand users without ever spending a penny on advertising. Um, and do you still have do you still have this website? no in fact I, I i had to sell it um I, <laughs> so the reason i i had to sell it is because with increased traction so at this point we were getting 10 to 20 transactions every single day and, and growing quite quickly basically paypal uh, locked my account one day and the reason they they did that is because uh they they wanted to verify who was behind the account and one of the things they wanted me to verify is that i was older than 18 which Oof. of course being 15 i couldn't do so I went to my parents, I asked them, you know, can I have a PayPal account in your name? They said, no way. We don't want to lose the house. So that was a a bit of a dead end.
1: (laughs) Uh, Gutting. Uh, Um, I had exactly the same problem when I was a teenager as well. Uh, I had a web design business when, you know, web pages were, when I was a teenager, we're talking early 2000s, even maybe 1999. And, um, it was exactly the same thing. PayPal was pretty brand new. They weren't doing checks until I started making money and then, yeah, they came down on me and I think they found out I was 14 and they held the money on the account Uh, and I was gutted because I was 14 and there was like, you know, maybe a thousand pounds, which for a 14 year old is a lot of money uh, uh, in this PayPal account and I couldn't get hold of it. But eventually... There was some kind of transfer to parents. My parents did say yes, fortunately. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's amazing. It's it's actually a big, a much wider question there about encouraging entrepreneurship in younger people, and you know how do they make money and accept payments, and you know how does that system work? I, I have no idea, and I don't know who's working on that. But uh, it's super interesting because obviously it's something that we want to cultivate kids or teenagers or young adults to actually. You start creating. That's really great. Uh, okay. So, um, you had to sell the company in the end. I, I did. Yeah. Um, I, I connected with
0: somebody, um, online on a web, like in domain marketplace, and I convinced him to buy the platform from me, um, uh, and the sale closed just before my 16th birthday. So it was a, a, a happy ending for, for, for me. Um, absolutely. But I do wish that, you know, I, were older and I, I could um operate a payPal account because I, I think you know I could have scaled that business a lot more but you know with revlon so we're in this in the very much the same space and and the reason is the reason why I started Revlon is because I saw that in the past seven to eight years you know since since then to when I started revlon, so these large platforms hadn't changed or innovated what they do at all so um you know i I knew that we could do a lot better
1: Yeah, they're they're more complicated. My first business after university was heavily reliant on Upwork and it was brand new at that point. Very exciting. Like this idea that you could get contractors from all over the world. Very, very exciting. Uh, But weird rules, like you said, you know, can't contact them off the platform. They always used to push observing people's screens. And I (laughs) that was just ridiculous to me. I wasn't going to sit there and observe someone's screen. I just wanted them to produce, you know, something of quality and pay them appropriately for that quality. Uh, And more recently, on another startup that I'm working on, I've gone back to Upwork. First of all, it took a long time to contact them. It was impossible to contact them. And because they had uh, blocked the account or put a hold on the account because of inactivity. And then the way in which you interact with individuals is a- identical to how it was 12 years ago, and as problematic. The fees are probably ha- are higher than they were, and yeah, I'm just not, I'm I'm just not feeling it as much as I used to feel it. I used to love that kind of idea, and 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 you know, you went now. You've shown me Revelancer, so It's something I hope to to engage with in future as well. So, um, you created this platform. You obviously had similar experience. In the past, uh, how did you actually go about the first, you know, the first steps? How did you get it off the ground? Were you on your own as well, or did you have a co-founder? Or sure. So I
0: um, right at the beginning, you know, I, I came up with the I- idea by myself. I started by just writing a, a whole notebook full, um, you know, of kind of notes and ideas. Like I think we're in less than a day, and and at that point, um, I saw that my university had this startup competition uh, and i immediately just started preparing for that um and then after I, I entered that competition you know was fortunate enough to win i'm now a judge actually on the competition which which is re- really cool to you know be on the other side of it too but but you know after that i then connected with um with my co-founder sky who handles our technical development um and then you know six months after that we had um launched the you know built the platform launched
1: the platform um, and then raised um our first VC funding. how How did you build it? did Did Sky and yourself as well code it from scratch, or have you used some kind of no code or fast development process, or how did that start? Sure. So yeah, I mean it's it's completely built in in-house.
0: Um, you know it's it's a custom um, web application which which we we built. you know, I kind of started, and then Sky took over quite quite quickly um after they joined. So, it was quite a, a substantial piece of work and it's still an ongoing substantial piece of work, um, but you know, it's uh, v- very good to have, it's a real asset for the business to have it
1: built in this way. You have a technical degree of sorts, do you do any of the development or is it more like the product side of it and obviously as CEO, management of the company? So much, much more um, kind of management. Uh, I,
0: I mean, I, I did a tiny bit of development uh, early on, but not really anymore. The one like tech part that, that I am super involved in though, um, is uh, we, we use um, AI uh, in, in automating quality control. And that's based on a classifier that I wrote for my um, university, finally a major project. So I'm I'm involved in that. Um, but outside of that, you know as far as the web development goes i'm I'm not um other than overseeing it you know kind of and, and in the weekly meetings
1: i'm I'm not um involved in writing any code for it hmm, excellent so you um have obviously got sky as your co-founder do you have other employees already or are you still just the two of you? Uh, no, so we're a team of seven
0: uh right now and and we are hoping to grow that to um about twelve to fifteen
1: by early next year oh wonderful so so those seven what kind of departments are they running or functions do they have within the business
0: yeah so we've got um two two in tech we've got two in marketing we have a a kind of a head of customer support um then there's my uh, you know and and moderation Um, and there's myself and then we have an administrative assistant as well who
1: was the the first employee after sky
0: um, I think it was ever. Uh, so she is. She started as a marketing assistant, but she's now our head of marketing.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's it's so you've gone sales first, really. You've gone inbound outbound first, rather than augmenting the dev team or or any other role. Because you know a lot of companies um, get an office administrator quite early on. Some beef up the dev team early on. You've gone for sales and marketing. So you felt pretty confident with the product. I'm just—I'm guessing—you felt pretty confident with the product that you and Sky had made quite early on, and you wanted to start selling that to you know potential clients. Early on.
0: Absolutely. I mean, um, we we really are, you know, kind of a marketing play first and foremost, um, because it's just about being able to reach as many people as as possible. Um, and I mean, the the, the platform um, that we have is. I I believe is very good. You know, I think, um, I mean, I'm a complete perfectionist. So I think that I could tell you a million things that I, I wish were better, but I think o- overall, you know, looking at it, it is in a very, very good place and continues to get better and better every day. Um, but we've been, we've seen some great growth as well. So when we launched our beta, we had a hundred users, then six months later, a thousand and um, six months off, off to that, well over 10,000 now. So we've
1: been growing quite quickly. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that is amazing. You mentioned there that, that you are a perfectionist. Do you think that's an important quality for a, a business leader or someone in a startup, or um, do you if, think it can hinder you? Somehow?
0: Yeah, I mean, if it's managed well, I I wouldn't say that I'm like I would say I I, I wouldn't you know just assign the perfectionist label to myself and then say nothing else because that's not quite true. I'm also very much about speed and efficiency. Um, so. I want, you know, there's that great saying that, um, you know, perfect is is the enemy of good enough, um, you know, and I'm yeah, definitely done. perfect is
1: the enemy of done, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a great, it's it's so true. But you can definitely categorize people on where they fall on that spectrum. Like I have some people I know who really cannot release something unless it is perfect, and then some people I know who don't make it perfect enough. <laughs> so somewhere in the middle. Well, I, I think I probably fall into not
0: making it perfect enough because there's this great quote by Reed Hoffman who founded LinkedIn who says, you know, if you're not morbidly embarrassed by your first product, then you've waited far too long to launch it or something to that effect. Um, oh, it's which- so true, it's so true. Yeah, it, it absolutely is definitely. so um you know when i say i'm a perfectionist I, i'm all about refining something and you know making it better for the users that are using it but i'm absolutely all in favor of launching an, an mvp as soon as possible and i'm usually the biggest advocate of this in in, in the whole team you know I, I think i probably um wind people up sometimes by by how kind of fast i want to move and how quickly i want to launch things before it is actually fully ready but i kind of want to get it out there get people using it and then refine Based on you know people using it and what they think of it and the experience they have.
1: Yeah, that I, I suppose that's a really great lesson here. That's like a top tip, I would imagine, um, because you know all the business, all the startup literature says more or less the same thing. You know, iterate, put out there, get customer feedback, iterate. It's it's kind of synonymous with the startup world and what's been happening over the last fifteen years. Let's say it's obviously not how businesses used to be run uh so you do have a culture shift and sometimes you can come up against that you know there there you wouldn't release a car you wouldn't make a car that wasn't per- not perfect but at least safe um and put it on the road but software is a bit different because you can update on the fly uh, and so yeah there is there is a balance to strike and it is a really interesting one and it does it does cause a lot of startups to fail because a lot of there's a lot of arguments within boardrooms maybe where you have two different cultures. And, you know, within teams, they just can't come to an agreement what to release, when to release. So it's interesting, you said that you push sometimes the team to release things that they might not be comfortable with. But at the moment, I would argue it's working for you. So and perhaps now is the time as well, while you're growing fast.
0: I think we've got a really good balance in the team of different people with you know different kind of perspectives preferences um so it, it all balances out very well um so you know in, in a you, you kind of need dreamers and doers on the on, on the team um you, you know uh, and uh, so like a, a diversity of skill set background um everything is very useful and i think that we we definitely have that but you know my my team um has this ru- there's this running joke at Revelancer so that about a call timeline, um, which <laughs> I, I, t- I tend to be quite optimistic about how how fast you know I want things done. So yeah, there's a whole term um, for it now.
1: Are your team remote or are they all local to Swansea? Or um, so a couple of people from the
0: team do live in Swansea, but we are all working remotely at the moment. Um, but in fact, actually, tomorrow. Well, uh, we we don't have an office uh, currently, but but tomorrow um we're all meeting in Cardiff for like an en- end of year kind of re- retrospective and
1: looking forward to the next year, which is quite exciting. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stalk the bars and find you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, um, that's nice. It is nice. To, do you? It is nice to have a com- like a a retreat or some kind of bringing together because otherwise, I don't know. I remote working for me works really well, but at the same time it's different from actually just sitting with the people you work with every day so that'll yeah. be really nice how did you find the uh the people you work with your colleagues oh i mean all in in completely different ways to be honest but
0: um in terms of how i found them but in terms of how i sort of evaluated them and saw if they were the right fit to work with me i do have a few uh interview questions that i like to ask which are... one, give us,
1: give us give us a few well scare everyone the the first one
0: is um what is a popular opinion you disagree with and why and that's ah, a okay. a very effective question b because basically in a, it doesn't matter so much what they say but it's more about being able to see that they can think out of the box and think differently from from the crowd and that they think things through as well so you know they're not just like parroting some opinion they heard but they actually like came to this thought you know this opinion of theirs after plenty of thinking i mean the majority of 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 people who i'm working with now what they sort of said for their popular opinion i personally you know like you know their disagreement i personally disagree with but it doesn't matter because it's not about that i'm looking for people who can see the world differently to most because that's
1: the that's exactly the kind of people that you need working in a startup yeah i was going to say that we haven't got all day because I have a lot of different opinions from uh, the general consensus. Uh, I think I'll be canceled as well. So let's not, uh, let's not go. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, uh, I also had a, um, when it went employing people, I had this question, which was, so let's imagine you have a client presentation on Thursday, but you're up against it and you haven't finished the presentation. Would you deliver A non-perfect presentation on thursday or would you deliver a perfect presentation on friday late essentially and again my take on this was generally there was generally the same answers to this it was basically reliant on your experience and uh what you thought about that because it's a bit like the perfect and done thing we said earlier It, it a lot the more experience you have the more likely you were going to say look just Just do it on time, because that's when the client wants it. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's not perfect because, you know, nothing ever is perfect. The younger ones or the less experienced, not necessarily to do with age, uh, would say, no, it has to be perfect. Uh, And we had one person I remember, he he answered something clever. And it's these questions that kind of, you know, they, they stop you, make you think. And you think, okay, they've thought about this differently. And he said, if it's late, it could never be perfect. And I was like oh wow you just blew my mind you know like this is totally you know left field answer and it doesn't matter you know there is no right or wrong answer to this like you just said it's just that you've thought about it and this guy did think about it so yeah I love I love those questions I know that people are terrified of these questions uh, in interviews but I think they do serve a purpose and I think if people realize there is no real right or wrong answer well, there can sometimes be really wrong answers, but generally sure. speaking, there is no real right or wrong answer. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely agree. Um, I, I mean, uh, questions like like these, I, I find are really good at understanding what kind of a person you know that that you're speaking to, um, and and you know, it's it's much better than I mean than the typical things of like, tell me about yourself, what are your strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I ask those questions too, but I'm much more
1: interested in the answers to you know questions like these. So if we go back to Revolancer, do you have many users using the platform now? And, and actually explain for us the difference between a freelancer and a client maybe on the on the platform. Sure. So um, a
0: freelancer is essentially, you know, some, a skilled professional who's offering their services. So it could be a graphic designer, a web developer, you know, a marketing specialist, those kind of things. Um, and then, the you know, the client is basically typically a small business that is looking for a website or for a logo or for a marketing consultant. And then what the platform does is it connects those those two. So, you know, a client can come on and say, I'm looking to get a logo designed and then, you know, a graphic designer can can reach out to the client and then the platform can facilitate that, you know, communication and um, and, and transaction. How do you know that they're of quality yeah. So we've, we've got an automated um, quality approval process where basically right, right now it's manual, but we're building the data set up every time, you know, that we make a decision on, on that to then over the
1: longer term, be able to automate that, um, all you know, almost fully. And is that, is that IP in your company? Would you say that's part of your IP there? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the, the freelancer. Who's the typical client
0: um so just a, a small business that's you know looking for a logo or a website or or something like that that they would hire a freelancer for
1: okay so let's imagine i run a florist uh i a florist business a flower shop and i need some flyers designed i can come to revalancer post a job as a client in someone a designer to design me some flyers uh, and then does it go to like a marketplace, an open forum, or do you go and select the people you want to work want want to work with you? Sure. So you can actually do
0: it in, in one of two ways. Um so you can browse <clears throat> listings that freelancers have already set up. So for example, you know, like there's a freelancer called um, I don't know, Bob and he It will design you a logo for 500 pounds, you know, and it'll do three revisions. And then you can just go and buy that directly and you can compare listings between different freelancers. But then on the other hand, what we see most clients do is they'll request a project. So instead of browsing freelancers directly on the platform, you'll just fill out a form that basically says, you know, I'm looking to get a logo designed. I'm looking to pay 500 pounds. I want to have at least three revisions to make sure it's right, um, you know, and basically just post that. And then freelancers like like Bob, in that case, can come and directly to you. And, and then you'll kind of get that shortlist
1: of people who are have said they're able to do the, the job and you can kind of choose from there. So the first model is a bit more like Fiverr and the second is a bit more like Upwork. Am I right? Sure. Yeah. Do, that, do those platforms, are they aware of you? Have they contacted you? Do you have any relations with them? I know that one of
0: them is, is aware of us at the very least. Uh, we don't have any relation, any kind of relationship with them. Um, I mean, ultimately, my my kind of thinking around it is, while I fundamentally disagree with how they do it, they are ultimately looking to bring freelancers, you know, uh, work opportunities, which we are too. So they are serving the same kind of fundamental mission as us, which I commend them for, but what I am not so you know, pleased about and the whole reason we exist is that I believe that they are charging freelancers too much. They're charging too high commission fees. They're restricting freelancers too much in how they can communicate with, with clients. So we're looking to sol- solve those issues um, you know, and then ultimately just also provide a bit of variety to, to the existing market.
1: There is a, another what another marketplace I think called Toptal, or at least it, it works in a little bit like an agency model, whereby as a company I can ask Toptal for certain skill sets, and they will find several people I can interview and then contract through Toptal. It's kind of like a recruitment agency, but also freelancer contractor based. Uh they obviously cornered a market where you assume, <laughs> because of the name, that they are the top talent you know it's it's difficult to become a freelancer on this platform do you do you foresee also a future where you have kind of the the expert level skill intermediate level skill and you know basic level skill and then using your ai perhaps would you be able to determine if one of those freelancers fits in one of those categories
0: yes Uh, i mean um we already have freelancers of all kinds of different skill sets and we we know we collect data um, that that indicates that as well. So TopTel, they only allow the top 3% of their applicants, uh, free freelancers on the platform, but they're also a, a, a completely different kind of animal. So, you know, if you run kind of a small business, like a florist, for example, top, you're not going to go to TopTel because you'll be paying tens of, you know, possibly hundreds of thousands of pounds. Also, the, the way that I believe that they make their uh, money, or at least it's how they used to until very recently, um it is is basically, you know, you'll kind of say, I'm looking for, I don't know, let's say a web developer. They'll tell you, here you go, you can get this web developer for for fifty thousand pounds or something to deliver this project. But the way that they make their money is, this web developer might have actually quoted them thirty thousand pounds. So they've now they're now taking a twenty thousand pound cut you know cut from that, and if you think that that I'm you know using a hyperbole there, I'm really not. They do typically take even higher than that, so around fifty percent of the yeah you know or hundred percent of the quoted price they they add on top as as their fee. So that's kind of how they operate, which I think works if you're working with very large corporate clients. Um, and then much higher ticket services. I, I still don't like it, but, you know, sure, I can see how that works. But it certainly wouldn't work on a lo- lower
1: level, like with something like Fiverr or, or Upwork, um, which is more where, where we're competing. So you you mentioned that your fees are perhaps less than some of the your competitors. Uh, what is the pricing like? Who pays? Does the client pay or the freelancer pay? Or how does it work?
0: Sure. So existing platforms will frequently charge um, tw- 20% plus, that seems to be the industry standard. We don't charge anything. We don't charge en- any commission fees whatsoever to um, you know clients or freelancers. And we instead have um, a monthly subscription plan for freelancers where they can pay to have access to additional features. But equally, they don't have to. And they can certainly get their first few clients without paying for the paid plan.
1: What is the biggest challenge that your company is facing right now? Um, I'd say the biggest challenge right now
0: is is fundraising. You know, even though we're, we're doing quite well, um, the fundraising environment has changed enormously from this time last year. You know, whereas lo- this time last year was maybe one of the best times in the past 15 years, whereas this year is decidedly the worst time in the past 15 years to fundraise. Because of the uh, cost of living crisis or financial crisis? Lots, lots of different things. Um, financial crisis, uh, the 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 war in Ukraine, cost of living crisis, uh, just general kind of uncertainty in, in the market is causing, uh, you know, it's called causing VCs and, and angels alike to really be very selective with their funds and where, where they allocate them. So I'd say that that's probably the biggest challenge right now. So it's basically just, you know, securing the funding to take what we have and have proven works on, you know, like a smaller scale and then scaling it to a much larger scale. But we are now in the final stages of closing our round. Um, We're in conversation with several potential leads and we have um, already got about 70% or so of the round um, secured. So that's great. Congrats. Who would be your next hire, do you think? um, So After this round closes, and we've already started kind of, you know, putting the feelers out, but we're looking to hire two salespeople, two developers and a a product manager.
1: Okay. So what about so far, you obviously had a business when you were younger, when you were a teenager and you've been running Revolancer for a couple of years now, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned so far and what do you wish you had known a couple of years ago?
0: I mean, I think it's the same answer for both, which is just the importance of just not giving up, which I I obviously haven't. But there have been times in the past where I've gotten quite close, you know, and thinking like, oh, maybe a traditional career route is just better for me. You know, I'm, I'm talking like years ago now, so well before Rival answer, but just kind of, you know, seeing my my peers at school re- really focus on schoolwork, going to going to good universities, go- going that kind of traditional track. Um I never wanted to do that. There have been times where I kind of felt like, oh, maybe what I'm doing, you know, is just, it's, it's too hard, you know. There, there have been that, those doubtful kind of times, but what I wish I knew back then and what I would say is, you know, my greatest lesson now is just never give
1: up. And that's exactly the mentality that, that I'm in right now. I just will not give up. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because um, I, I I know many people have spoken about the same thing. And and I started my first company after university, And all my friends, I did a business degree, right? So all my friends went into banking, uh, went to the city of London. By the time they were 25, 26, 27, they were earning numbers that I couldn't even imagine. And here was I in my bedroom trying to build a business, uh, finding it difficult to get a mortgage because you're more or less self-employed when you run a limited company. And I did have moments and I know a lot of our, years a lot of people who have started business have moments where they think what am I doing shall I just go get a quote-unquote normal job but yeah I think sticking with it is challenging and it, and not everyone can do it because of other circumstances but yeah I think determination is is perhaps one of the greatest contributors to success <laughs>
0: It certainly is. I mean, there's a great book, um, Power by Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford University. And, and he wrote a list of the top seven things, the top seven traits that determine success in people. And intelligence is not on the list at all, by the way. But the number one uh, trait is grit. Uh, and I, I think it, it really is true. You know, you, you, it doesn't matter how smart you, it doesn't matter how able you are, it doesn't even matter what connections you, you have. I mean, those things matter to some degree, but what makes the biggest difference
1: is just not giving up and just keep trying. <clears throat> so, yeah. My other, my next one on that list would be hustle. I don't know if that was on your on the list as well, but it, it basically this idea that you've got to literally get out there and sell it, making a great product but not telling anyone about it. Gets you nowhere. You actually have to like, you know, get. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to New York, but and maybe they don't do this so much anymore. But when CDs were a thing, uh, and I, even after CDs were a thing, you'd have a lot of artists who were you know, making a CD and literally being on the street in New York trying to pedal their CD on you, like buy my CD. You know, it's ten dollars. Give me ten bucks. Give me ten bucks. And I find, I find, I found it very difficult because. I don't think in British culture we would necessarily do that. We'd be quite embarrassed to do that. But in American culture, it was very much, you know, go out there and sell what you've created. Otherwise, no one's going to know about it. And and it really is something you have to transfer to a business. We're almost shy sometimes to, to talk about what we do and shy to actually sell what we've spent hours thinking about and making. Um, and it's kind of ridiculous. Like, if you don't sell it, no one will buy it. So... Yeah, I think, I think grit is a good one. I think having that ability to sell, not in terms of like sales skills or process, but just this idea that you actually have to go out and tell people about it. Um, the amount of entrepreneurs who will not pick up a phone to talk to someone is incredible. And I was like that when I was 22, 23, 24 as well. It scared the hell out of me. But once you've done a few <laughs> Zoom calls and hopefully the pandemic has helped, you just get over it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So what one thing would you say that Welsh government or could do to improve the tech ecosystem here in Wales. I know you said earlier that you've been impressed by it, but what do you think could be done and it doesn't have to be limited to Welsh government, it could be a taxation thing, it could be anything. Sure. Um I
0: mean I I'm not an expert on exactly what is already provided. So if I say stuff here that actually already exists then then um know just be mindful of that that's very much a possibility but i i, I think you know uh, and and what i've seen already is um more kind of grants becoming available at smaller scales so i, I can't remember the name of it but i believe that there is a grant in in wales now you know, for young people looking to start a business where it's, you know, you can get £2,000, where well, that could make such an enormous difference, you know, whereas to a business of a larger scale, £2,000 might, might be absolutely not nothing, you know, um, but it can make a real difference if you're just starting out, especially if you're not paying yourself yet at that point, it makes such an enormous difference. We got to the point of where we raised our first VC funding, um, you know, and, and the, the better part of a year, uh, all on on about £8,000. You know that included launching the platform, getting 150 or so or so users on by that point. Thanks. So I mean, you you can get very far. And then same thing again with with buy sell jobs. You know, I grew that to 2,000 users. And had the platform built all for £200, you know, about, I think, eight years ago now at this point or so, seven or eight years ago. I I, I think that that can make a huge difference. So just that kind of financial support to small businesses really early on can can make a huge difference. Uh, and I know that, you know, there is more being done for that. But generally, I do think that the ecosystem and support
1: available in, in Wales is absolutely second to none. That's great. And what would your... One piece of advice be then to someone looking to start up a business in wales
0: um i mean i i say same as anywhere else in the world but you know wales is of course a fantastic uh, choice to to start a business in but i'd say the most important thing is to just you know, start putting yourself out there, like, you know, keep keep going, don't give up, but actually put yourself out there. It doesn't matter if your website or product or whatever isn't perfect. The most important thing is just going out there and having those conversations. And and um, I sort of have people ask me quite frequently, you, you know, people who, who aren't in, in this kind of space will just kind of say like, you know, oh, I could ne- never start a business. I could never do what you do, which is absolute nonsense. Like, you know, it's it's I didn't have all the answers at the beginning, I still don't have all the answers at all but you know you kind of learn as you go along so step step you know you want to start a business okay step 1 register a company how do you do that well you can google that and find out for free you know and 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 you'll be surprised it only costs like 12 pounds to do so okay yeah, now you can do incredible. that then next step yeah exactly so you're going to just go next step maybe you need you need a website right a- again you can you can google that you can watch youtube tutorials all the information is out there you just have to accept that you won't have all the answers now or frankly ever, but you can start getting some of the answers by by just going out there and looking for them.
1: Thank you, Carl, for telling us about River Lancer. And uh, you know, I wish you all the success and hopefully we can talk to you again in a year's time and see where you're at.
0: Well, thank you very much, Rob, for having me on. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward up to catching in a year.